this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i'm your host g sampath the foreign contribution regulation act or the fcra has been in the news once again india's ngo sector had an unpleasant start to the new year as it emerged that around 6000 of them perhaps more had lost their fcra license among those that lost their licenses are some really big names such as mother teresa's missionaries of charity oxfam the indian medical association and the tuberculosis association, association of india while the fcra license of missionaries of charities and a couple of others have been restored most of the others are still looking for ways to get back their licenses and just to add some context here NGOs and other institutions that do charitable work have to register under the FCRA to be able to receive foreign donations. So a cancellation or the loss of an FCRA license could mean that they may no longer be able to continue their day-to-day work to pay salaries and may even be forced to shut down. So this also has livelihood implications for people employed in the social sector. In this edition of InFocus, we are going to get to the bottom of the whole FCRA phenomenon. why do ngos need an fcra license do other entities that receive donations such as political parties for example face the same level of regulatory scrutiny and how transparent is the process of granting or cancellation of licenses for a better understanding of these questions and more we have with us kabir dikshit an advocate on record at the supreme court who has been handling fcra matters before the supreme court and the delhi high court for almost a decade Kabir thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me sampath it's a pleasure kabir to start with uh, let's get some background and history into the picture what we know is that indian ngos need fcra registration to receive foreign donations this law has been around since 1976 and has been amended repeatedly with the latest set of amendments coming in 2020 so can you give us a quick historical overview of this law and what it's been about sure so fcra's history is absolutely fascinating it maps perfectly with three major setbacks to democracy in india and the world first the emergency the law was born in 1976 during the emergency in a parliament empty of opposition at first when this law was introduced the ngos were only supposed to report the funds received and spent there were no major restrictions but once the party came back congress came back in power on the pretext of investigating jayaprakash narayan's foreign funds it set up a commission under justice pd kudal a former judge of rajasthan high court that commission was meant to look only into say four five ngos but it became a roving inquiry into hundreds of ngos and the terms kept getting extended ultimately over seven installments over three years it filed its reports and basis that an ordinance was passed in 1984 making several changes in the 1976 act now it was hardened substantially and ngos were required to for the first time register or obtain prior permission to receive foreign funds and remarkably they were not allowed to pass their funds to other non registered ngos this has happened recently and there was a lot of hue and cry but this happened back then so this was the first uh, the genesis lies in the emergency the second big uh, milestone in the history of 
FCRA would be the September 11 attacks where post that there was a global sort of backsliding in 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 democracies across the world and some charities were implicated in that attack and then the us passed the patriot act there was uh, the financial action task force which is a uh, international regime it issued a special report on combating the abuse of nonprofits for terror financing the recommendation 8 it's known as and india passed say money laundering act 2002 fcra bill was introduced in 2006 finally it was passed in 2010 after it was it went through a standing committee of home affairs com- comments were invited public hearings were granted uh, in 2011 when the rules had not yet been framed the us had shown some concern about the slow pace of fcra implementation in the country so this was the second the stage of evolution where the fcra 2010 law came post the 1976 which was revealed repeat sorry the third major stage that we are currently in has come with the election of this present dispensation what's called known as modi government two major amendments have happened in 2018 and 2020 which have sort of transformed the the nature of this law and what's happening under its ambit and these are in my opinion the most damaging uh, even more damaging the law was problematic but now it's in its most damaging phase in 2018 the amendment that was introduced did something remarkable the law has been put in place essentially if you read the the provisions of the law to protect the indian electoral electoral democracy the sanctity of that to protect the indian public sphere from being tainted by foreign influence through foreign funding however in 2018 the amendment that has come has allowed political parties to receive foreign funding in the most opaque manner through the route of electoral bonds now what is striking is as far as ngos are concerned their foreign funding is only meant to be regulated by the act however a few categories of persons are completely banned under the uh, fcra act from receiving any foreign funding and political parties candidates in elections and legislators elected legislators are under the prohibited category so this amendment has transformed the nature of this act where those prohibited can now get foreign funds and those who are only meant to be regulated are being harassed and the biggest tool of that harassment is the 2020 amendment which we shall discuss later so that that was the brief historical overview that i wanted to give right that's an interesting uh distinction that you're making that on the one hand you have entities who are prohibited from getting foreign funds such as political parties now getting foreign funds seemingly uh, endless amounts through this opaque uh, device of the electoral bonds and on the other hand ngos who are only supposed to be regulated are now uh, facing uh, the kind of harassment which basically sort of shuts the tap on uh, foreign funding now going back a little bit you said something about in 2010 11 the us expressing concerns over a lax implementation of the fcra act is that right did i hear that right the us expressed concerns yes there there have been reports about this sort of concern being expressed yes over a domestic law in india yes very briefly see the prevention of money laundering act and uh, fcra these sort of these laws under you know domestic uh, regimes all connect back to a 
uh, a global enterprise to counter financial terrorism to fight terrorism rbi has its own notifications that it comes out under the counter countering of financial terrorism and money laundering uh, rules so therefore that is the uh, the global context of it right okay now we have some clear uh, road map in terms of what happened historically before the present moment but just taking it a step further uh, at a general level do ngos uh, under the constitution have an automatic right to receive foreign contributions or does it does the fcra law confer this right i'm really grateful for that question because this is a, a very common misunderstanding a lot of people seem to think or seem to articulate when fcra related debates happen that organizations have no right to receive foreign contribution now this is this is wrong uh, while it is true that the foreign contribution regulation act does not confer this right it only seeks to regulate receipt of foreign contribution so therefore fcra is clearly not uh, the right to receive foreign funding is clearly not a statutory right under the fcra this right traces back to the freedom of association the right to freedom of expression the right of individuals and citizens to go about doing exactly what they wish to do in terms of work in the area of work that they choose to operate in and uh, these are fundamental rights that are you know recognized in the universal declaration of human rights in the in the international covenant for civil and political rights in most international you know treaty bodies and international conventions whether in the americas africa europe uh, across the world this right to freely associate and and the right to collaborate financially with like minded people and organizations wherever they may be in the world is essentially a part of the bundle of rights to to associate you know and the indian constitution recognizes the right to form associations but the the sad part is the sad part is that this right to form associations in the manner articulated is a lot of times perceived in a very restricted sense as a right merely to form associations however it if given its actual meaning if understood broadly in in the international context then this right to receive foreign funding is is a is an inherent part of our right to freely associate right i mean this is something which uh, i have i at least haven't heard uh, being mentioned very often that the right to receive foreign contribution is is associated or sort of stems from the right to free association and that is a fundamental right and so so then wh- what kind of uh, lens does this put the fcra uh, law under is is there really a, then a logic at all or what kind of logic that goes behind subjecting ngos to an fcra regime well in its present form uh, i will have to say that in its present form which is an extremely invasive interfering restrictive a uh, form uh, which lends itself to abuse there are many vague unacceptable provisions in this present form the fcra law does not seem to have uh, any rationale the big difficulty with this law is that the government tries to pass it off as a national security legislation right but if we look at for instance if an ngo or any organization is involved in uh, illegal activities there are laws for that there's the penal code there's the uh, uapa unlawful activities prevention act if there are uh, risks or you know threats of money laundering 
if some organization is involved in that, there is a Prevention of Money Laundering Act for that, right? For reporting of uh, receipts, there is RBI, there are laws regulating the banking system. So therefore, there's once you look at the entire gamut of laws to which a, an, any organization receiving foreign fund is subjected to anyway, then what remains in FCRA is barely anything. And therefore, there is probably scope for only a very bare skeletal legislation. But in its present form, for instance, you know, there is a there is no scope for this because there's a provision, for instance, which which says that assets built from uh, foreign contribution must vest in the state once uh, the registration is either cancelled or surrendered. Now, imagine a minority institution sets up a science lab or a computer lab in a village with foreign funds. Why should it vest in the government upon surrender of registration? Why can't the institute run it? So these kind of, you know, these things, these provisions have not been thought through and they seem to be uh, not, they seem to lack any sound legal basis as well and they've not been tested in court as yet. Right. So, coming back to the current uh, scenario, is the FCRA meant exclusively for NGOs only or, or entities that do charitable work only or are there, are there also other entities uh, which obtain or lose their license uh, to receive foreign funds under FCRA? So, under the FCRA law, per se, organizations, effectively, it would be NGOs only. Because uh, if you see, we have, uh, you know, current account convertibility. So any import of goods and services is pretty much free in this country. So if people are rendering services abroad and receiving remittances, that's not a foreign contribution. That's not donation. That's exempt. Similarly, on capital account fronts, if companies are getting uh, foreign direct investment uh, into equity or they are uh, raising loans from abroad, that is also not under the purview of foreign contribution. Foreign contribution is basically donations, grants received by organizations. And in effect, it only uh, sort of, for practical purposes, it's only NGOs, trusts, societies, Section 8 companies. Right. So the, the issue is not so much with foreign money per se, but foreign donations. And that, that means that basically it's the uh, social sector and civil society groups, or rather those who are not in the commercial or profit-making a domain which are affected by this legislation? With one exception, of course, I forgot to add that political parties, of course, were, were under blanket prohibition. Candidates for election I mentioned earlier and uh, elected uh, legislators. Also judges, journalists, editors, bureaucrats, public servants. So uh, the idea was, uh, the idea behind the law is that civil society can continue to function and receive foreign contribution and that can be regulated with transparency. But all these higher, uh, you know, constitutional functionaries or those who govern public opinion or are part of the electoral pro uh, politics, active politics, must be completely, you know, protected from uh, the influence of foreign money, which of course now has been upturned. Right. Getting to the nitty gritty of it, what, what is the exact process by which the state can legitimately deny or cancel or refuse to renew an FCRA license and how transparent or not is this process of uh, cancellation and granting licenses? Well, the cancellation process, the, ca the grounds on which organization which has FCRA registration can be cancelled is uh, if they have violated some provisions of the law or they have made some false statement in its application for registration or discontinued operations, that a large number of organizations that 
lose FCRA license and then these uh, news reports come out. Many of them have perhaps discontinued uh, continued operations or some of them may have uh, stopped taking uh, you know, foreign contribution and therefore not made relevant filings. That also happens sometimes. And uh, registration can also be cancelled if the government perceives that it is against public interest that it receives foreign funds, a particular organization. This, in my opinion, is vague and is uh, also abused by the government, this vagueness. The process, of course, itself is is not uniformly transparent in my experience. We keep hearing about this adverse input, so-called, from wherever it comes from. In the case of missionaries of charity, they said they received adverse inputs. What does it mean? A lot of language that is very alarmist and sounds very ominous and dangerous you know, is is deployed uh, by the government. It's uh, if it had it didn't have such serious consequences for uh, the organizations, their project and livelihood. It would be comic, because when organizations, uh, the government on its part, when it's, it has to proceed, a lot of times we see that principles of natural justice, like pro- giving a proper notice, disclosing proper reasons, affording an opportunity of hearing, these are disregarded, bypassed. You know, and organizations are sort of compelled to uh, waste a lot of time and money in litigation, pursuing their remedies in court. But when they go to the court, you know, they are faced uh, with a very difficult situation because the government insists on relying on sealed covers. You know, it it will say that, uh, you know, there's this adverse material that cannot be disclosed. And peculiarly, the, the organizations, a lot of these respectable entities who have a great track record of doing good work in, in the country and have great international and national credibility, they may have in some instances worked with the government, they are rarely ever reluctant to share all the material and have it discussed in the public domain. But the government sometimes uh, insists you know, on, on producing material only in sealed cover to sort of drag on the proceedings. And, you know, delay is one of the biggest deterrents for uh, seeking judicial review of these actions because a recent amendment in 2020 has extended the period of suspension from 180 days pre-amendment position to 360 days post-amendment. Now, how many organizations in the country can afford legal costs and this kind of time? Where will they pay salaries from? Will they not lose staff, key personnel? Will their projects not die a slow death? Will they not lose credibility? How many people, how many donors, in fact, would want to associate with organizations once it is clear that they are in government crosshairs and the government is not going to let them function anymore? So these kind of practical difficulties arise unless the courts, of course, you know, provide the necessary protections uh, to NGOs approaching the court. Uh, I don't see this problem uh, getting solved very easily. And that doesn't happen uniformly. Or consistently. Right. You just referred to uh, the 2020 amendment uh, to the FCRA uh, uh, law. I mean, uh, does this amendment have anything uh, at all to do with all of a sudden so many NGOs losing their FCRA licenses altogether? Absolutely. Most certainly this amendment has something to do with this, uh, especially when it comes to renewals. Now, prior to this amendment, the renewal regime under the Foreign Contribution Regulation Act was uh, reassuringly simple. A renewal was to be granted unless there was an FCRA violation by the organization. And it had to be granted in a time-bound fashion. 
and this this was of course uh, a very good provision however the amendment was brought in to make the renewal subject to uh, various conditions the scrutiny will now look at things as vague as whether office bearers have uh, of an organization seeking renewal have any prosecution pending against them now if you look by contrast elected uh, members of parliament and uh, you know state legislatures can become can continue as ministers and lawmakers even you know when they are uh, they have been charged cheated until they are convicted of heinous crimes very very heinous crimes and an organization can lose uh, fcra registration if say its treasurer or someone has been just you know found protesting joining a peaceful protest march against a some legal you know some action some law or uh, you know it could be as something as small as a traffic violation so these sort of things uh, of course have caused a great amount of distress and uh, some of these cases might owe the, you know to these kind of amendments problematic amendments right so uh, now that so many ngos have lost their uh, licenses I mean, is there a scope for the for these cancellations or losses of FCRA licenses to be challenged in court? Is it happening? It is happening, um, and of course, individual actions, uh, individual cancellations, refusals of renewal, uh, must be challenged individually by by uh, those particular organizations, and they will have to be tested on the facts of each particular case. But the the offensive provisions, uh, vague provisions, uh, provisions that are you know being abused or that by there are such provisions which just by existing on the uh, statute books cause a chilling effect or are calculated to sort of weed out critical voices from the civil society ensure that they don't find employment or such organizations do not continue uh, those provisions should can be challenged individually as well as collectively and are being challenged but there there can be more challenges here so like what kind of provisions uh, in your opinion have a chilling effect i mean is there I mean i, I read somewhere about a provision which requires uh, say someone who's who's on the board of a particular ngo all the directors have to uh, sort of share all their financial records and aadhar card and all those other details is that uh, something one should worry about yeah absolutely there uh, the multiple uh, such provisions uh, i mentioned one about prosecution for any offense or vague you know disqualification criteria public interest or where organizations cannot sort of decide they everyone's on you know tenter hooks not knowing how to act and the government has uh, exceedingly wide powers and there aren't enough safeguards built into the provisions uh, to ensure due process so these kind of provisions there are multiple such provisions and they can be challenged right and one of the things we keep reading about in news reports whenever we see uh, an ngos uh, fcra license getting cancelled is that the government has uh, often been reported as saying that the ngo funds uh, especially the funds uh, received from abroad are not being utilized for the purpose for which they were donated now is according to you do you think it's the government's uh, remit to look into how an ngo is using its funds when aren't there donors already out there the people who gave those funds uh, would be doing that job for themselves without a doubt it's not the government's remit to do that and the entire idea behind this is to retain the power to uh, go after uh, ngos that are critical of government policies 
there is no other justification for retaining such powers okay but isn't there also a case to be made uh, that, that some would argue that the government's fears about foreign funding might be justified because they could be used uh, by anti national forces etc so do you think there is some credibility to that or is it just a, a matter of prejudice against foreign funding in the social sector see my take on this is that recommendation 8 of the financial action task force that i had mentioned earlier that came as far back as uh, 2002 it was revised in 2013 some time has passed now the fcra law is also over a decade old now where is the empirical evidence showing that indian ngos or a significant minority even has posed the risk of being conduits of financial terrorism or large scale conversion or any threat to national security where are the credible prosecutions investigations convictions uh, is there any such data shared by the government placed before the parliament the entire fcra regime is based on unfounded suspicions it is based on creation of prejudice against foreign funded ngos by a foreign funded government that does not want to be exposed on various counts or criticized even that's the difficulty right okay we are running out of time uh, kabir one last question before we wind up uh, just to come back uh, to one a, a, a general sort of theme uh, around this discourse of fcra what is wrong with the view that says okay let the ngos and civil society organizations operate on the funds they raise within the country why do they need foreign funds if they are really doing good work then they should raise contributions from their fellow citizens instead of uh, getting money from foreign sources which may or may not be conduits for international forces raise money within the country don't look out what's wrong with this view well see this is a, a very difficult and a very common objection that is raised and it is uh, it is a unrealistic you know it is uh, there are multiple ways to approach it one one uh, very obvious uh, thing is that there are a lot of causes uh, which don't always uh, find you know a, a lot of social work that is being done by reputed organizations is sometimes they're working on causes that are not popular causes uh, not everyone is just planting trees you know sometimes for instance the the this is just a hypothetical example i'm giving for instance the movement uh, against uh, uh, you know the laws criminalizing homosexuality had been going on for a very substantial period of time there wasn't a lot of popular sentiment supporting that cause for the longest time it it, it made very slow progress till uh, changes were brought in any such cause sometimes must get resources from where it can find where educated like minded resourceful organizations exist right unless there is a good reason to avoid an organi- to to, uh, to sort of deny an organization such such association just to say that they must operate domestically and raise funds domestically there is no there is no valid reason for that the other reason that i can immediately think of is that currently you have a situation where the private sector as i stated earlier whether through uh, import and export of goods and services or through fdi and external commercial borrowings is uh, across sector sector after sector receiving a large amount of foreign money and this foreign money comes with strings attached it it requires a return on investment right it it 
comes to own assets in this country. Political parties today, they were never meant to receive foreign contribution on foreign, or foreign money. They are receiving foreign money. And to bring this sort of a... They, these political parties must most legitimately be uh, asked to operate domestically and raise resources domestically. This taints the Indian electoral process. However, to ignore all of that and to raise this threshold or subject only the Indian civil society, which is the only segment which is coming with the highest amount of transparency about where they are receiving money from, where they are spending it and for what cause, to subject them to this sort of an objection is, uh, I think, uh, hypocritical right i guess uh, it is it is a matter of debate whether this uh, this fear of foreign donations is really a fear of foreign funding given that foreign funding seems to be not a problem in the private sector or is it really a fear of uh, civil society itself no that's a subject for another uh, podcast but two major takeaways for me at least uh, from your uh, insightful comments and the background that you've given kabir is one is of course i didn't know that this entire FCRA registration was born uh, during the emergency, which I think uh, says a lot. And uh, the fact that it is it is uh, the, the entire uh, right to receive donations from abroad is an integral part of the right to free association. And it is not something that is conferred by the FCRA legislation. These are really, I think, uh, important points that we need to keep in mind as uh, this issue develops and as public deba- debate develops on this issue. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kabir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sampat, for this opportunity. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.